grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. Boy, it's nice and warm. I'm going to make you all jealous again back east because it is hecka nice and warm here in California. Tomorrow, oh my gosh, it's only April. It's going to be 91. Unbelievable. Friday too. Friday too. You know, it's just, it's going to be 91. I cannot believe it. Yikes. I hate the heat. I hate the heat. The only room I have air conditioning in is this room right here in the studio. Anyway, that's my issue, not yours. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Charlotte. I'll be your host for the next hour. And uh, we got a good show lined up for today. I'm really excited. It's a person that I, that's a, is a personal idol of mine over the years. And I can't wait to talk to him. In the meantime, my name is Charlotte, and I am the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of sunny Sacramento, California. We're 35 strong up and down the state, and we have people in just about every county in California that are available and, and willing to help you with any paranormal needs that you have. But we also have people in Oregon and Washington, Nevada, and also in Hawaii. Okay, so if you're in any of those states, you're covered. We got you back. Anyway, welcome, welcome. If you're watching from YouTube, please be sure to subscribe. There's that little ghost down in the bottom right hand. I believe he's in the right hand corner. And uh, he's got a magnifying glass and he's got a Sherlock Holmes head on. He's our little ghost investigator. And uh, he, he'd he like you to subscribe. We've got over 230 videos over there. And uh, yeah, it's all kinds of topics. It's not just ghostly topics. It's all kinds of stuff. All right. And uh, I think you'll like it once you start perusing there. Okay. Anyway, I want to welcome our guest. Uh, it's going to be a phone and interview tonight because uh, he just doesn't want to be, he doesn't feel like being on camera. So I'm fine with that, considering who it is. I don't, <laughs> I'm happy just to have him. Um, Dr. Barry Taff. If anybody knows that has been watching like, like paranormal TV over the years, and I mean over the years, because I used to watch him back in the days when he was like on In Search of. And uh, yeah, he goes back a long way. He goes back almost as long as I go back, if not more. And I'm excited to talk to him. He's he's uh, investigated haunted Hollywood. He's investigated um, the the one that I know that, that I know that I'm not going to say popular, but one of the most famous cases he's done. Excuse me, here. One of the most famous cases he's investigated is the Entity case, and that was made into a movie. And he was also a consultant for the movie. So I'm really excited to have him on. And from what I understand, reading his bio, he's branched off into studying aliens, alien encounters, and stuff. So it should be an interesting hour. So I'm going to have to call him. So give me a second so I can do my dialing for dollars. I still say I need like dialing music like David Letterman used to have. He used to say, hey, Paul, give me some dialing music. That's why I need some dialing music. Let me get a hold of Barry. Wonderful thing, cell phones. There we go. There we go. Hi, this is Barry. Yes. Hi, this is Charlotte with California Haunts. How are you doing? Good. How are you, sir? Pretty good. Great. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thanks. How are you doing today? Okay. I was just computers going crazy on me. Other than that, uh, just a normal day. 
starting to get hot here. Oh, Which yeah. In the 90s today, they said tomorrow will be close to 100. So, you know, I just don't go out because I've had too many skin cancers and they told me to stay out of the sun. Absolutely. So I'm staying out of the sun. So where are you located? Now I'm in Temecula, which is uh, about, about 80 miles north of San Diego. Okay, cool. Yeah, we're going to be 91 tomorrow. Yeah, where are you at? Sacramento. Oh, yeah, hot. Yeah. So it's getting there. It's kind of early for it, though, but I mean, okay, I'm fine with it. Long usually as I... May, like for May, it's May gray. For June, it's June gloom. So usually those two months are cool. Right. Uh, it's unusual to have weather this warm in the beginning of April, but, you know. Oh, absolutely. We could use more rain, but it's not going to happen. No, no, no. Yeah. Yep. Anyhow, sir, I am so excited to have you on. You have been an idol of mine for as far as, I'm not, I'm not going to say you're really old because you're not. I'm just saying you've been an idol of mine for many, many, many years. Well, I'm probably double, twice, at least twice your age. <laughs> so, I remember so, watching so. you on all the early paranormal shows, you know, before there were yeah. ghost hunters and all right, that. Right, right. I remember seeing you on In Search of Unsolved Mysteries and all that stuff. Yep. And the premiere episode of Sightings. Yes. I wasn't on it, but they had uh, footage of papers I wrote. You see my name, they mentioned my name, but I wasn't on the show. Yes. So, I have uh, followed your career. You were, you inspired me to get into this. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> well, uh, where would you like to start? Do you have any interesting things you, 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 you we can talk about or so, something that you're well, doing? I mean, uh, it might, the important thing from my end of it is I'll let people know why I'm in this and how I got into it. Okay, go for other it. Than that, it's like you just don't drop into it and do research. You got to come from somewhere. All right, go for it. So, we're, are we recording now? Yes, we're good. Okay. Um, my 50, let's see, my 53 year presence in terms of parapsychology and the paranormal began very subtly when well, I was very, uh, the teenager, I started having these experiences that my friends and family weren't having mm -hmm. out of body telepathic precognitive and i thought how come i'm having this and my friends and family are in fact one of the things that developed very early on in me almost got me kicked out of school when i was 10 years old so um basically this is the beginning story of a medical intuitive which is what i have, have the ability to do so read recess we're playing some kind of stupid ball game in the, in the courtyard or whatever, a bunch of kids. And, and this girl named Christine is walking towards me. And I knew her, but I didn't know her well. Mm -hmm. Wearing a long sundress, a sky blue sundress with a big flower on top. And she's walking towards me. And suddenly this other vision I get, like sort of like Superman's X-ray vision comes on. <laughs> and I could see that under her dress on the right side, there's a plastic bag attached to her. And there's a tube going into her. And what's that? So, yeah, I'm a kid. I don't know anything about medicine. I went up to her and said, Christine, what's that stuff under here? And she started screaming and ran and got the teacher, the director in the principal's office. And he said, hey, would you sneak to the girl's bathroom? Look under her dress? I go, no, no, no. I, don't do, I did neither. Well, then how could you know? She had a colostomy. I didn't know her colostomy. Wow. And I said, it's like, you know, x-ray vision. And, All right, here, I'm going to call your mom. So he called my mom. And, and she told him, Barry can do that. And the, the principal went, what? Barry can do that. And he said, you're as crazy as your son is. He hung up on my mom and he warned me, if it ever happens again, I'll have you arrested and taken to juvenile hall and you go to jail for a while. 
Wow. Well, it did, it did happen again, but I never spoke of it. So before I left his office in the school, I looked at him and a uh, big, a very husky guy, looked like an ex-football player or something. And uh, I said to him, look at that weird scar from when they took your appendix out. And it's always kind of purple. Today, I call it a keloid because they know the name of, you know, mm -hmm. I know medicine. And uh, he turned purple and green and yellow. And how could you know that? I said, well, <laughs> you wanted some proof. I just gave it to you. How can I know that? You know. So this got me in trouble. It pushed friends and family away. Um, growing up, I remember the day JFK was inaugurated, <laughs> 1961. I bet my parents, 25 or 50 bucks, one of those denominations, that he would be killed around Thanksgiving of 63. I didn't know how or why he's going to be killed. They go, you're crazy. I said, well, that's what I'm seeing. And then the years passed and wham, it happened. And a lot of friends and family stayed away from me for quite a while after that. <laughs> so the, these type of experiences were common. Um, I could close my eyes and see what other people were doing or, you know, at distant locations. Um, uh, all types of amazing things were happening. Why me? Right. So I've, I learned back in uh, late teens, I guess, there was a woman working at UCLA by the name of Dr. Thelma Moss, and she developed a parapsychology lab there in the old neuropsychiatric institute. Uh, now they call it the Seminole Institute, and part of the old medical center, not the new one. So I wrote her, no response. I kept calling her. You know, they didn't have email or whatever. They just had a switchboard. And she never responded. I said, oh, okay, well, what can I do? So sometime later, one of her assist, a research assistants was in graduate school. I was undergraduate. And I met him, and I told him what's been going on with me. And he set up a meeting for, go to, for me to go meet Dr. Moss. So this was at her house, not at the university. Who cares, you know? Mm -hmm. So she lived real close to where I lived with my family, with my parents. So I could have walked there, but, you know, I didn't. So I went to see her. And I, I knew really nothing about her other than some of the research she had done. And uh, so we're, we're talking and I'm telling her about my experiences. And she goes, do you do psychometry? I said, yeah. And they'll need a whole object to get impressions. Yeah. So she hands me her keys, keychain, a lot of keys on them. And uh, I talked about a lot of things. And when it really got interesting was I said, I see a fat blue-eyed blonde woman named Shelly. And you're really close to her. She's always screaming. Her best friend was the actress Shelley Winters, and that was an accurate, if not you know, unflattering, description of her. And then I described other things, and okay, so um, Dr. Moss was impressed. So she started. I started working in the lab as a research assistant, and then she conducted a study on me, which was published several years later in, in a refereed medical journal. Okay, so you're psychic, you're telepathic, clairvoyant, precognitive. Yeah, yeah okay. But again, why me? Why not my friends and family? Mm -hmm. This candidate, the thing is, you know, what's different about me? I mean, I don't know. It's just um, Dr. Moss thought that the reason my abilities developed so early on was because I'm, I'm short. I'm not a big guy. And because of that, I compensate. I said, yeah, but I was a little kid. I didn't know I would grow up to be tall. How would I know? But anyway, so I worked in a lab. And uh, three things I was doing there. Um, I was initially an undergraduate, and I worked as an assistant there. And then, uh, as I finished my, my my got my dissertation done and got my doctorate, I became a research associate. 
So I did two types of research. One is in the lab, and the work in the lab was pretty simple. I came up with a way of a positive learning paradigm to teach people to become better psychics. In other words, can you enhance the ability in someone? And it's sort of like um, if you're going to race cars, you've got to build up muscle memory of hand-eye foot coordination mm -hmm. and stamina. Now, if you're going to fly jets in the military, you do the same thing. Or if you're a, a dancer or whatever, or an athlete. So develop the program. And if you want to read about the program, go to my website, and read this is barrytaft.net, and read the article entitled um, Learned Psy, Training to be Psychic. And yes, some people can be trained to do it, others cannot. And um, when it works, it works really well to the point where it's unnerving because things happen that makes us question the reality we live in. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it, it was real simple. It's described on my, in my art on my website, but be like, we had a group of people and we have a new person come in, a stranger. We told that person to think about something, someone you know really well, family member, your husband, your wife, your sister, you know, your mother, your dad, whatever. All your family you work with, you know really, really well. So this went on and it was quite, sometimes it was startling in terms of the details. We'd verbalize our impressions. We, we, we were in a semi, um, what do you call it, um, sensory deprivation environment when we got to use it was dead quiet you couldn't see your hand in front of your face so the only thing we had contact with was our own, our own mind and um it was not that hard to do at least initially and it was very successful in some respects and we didn't know it but dr moss was having people come into their research and they were wearing civilian clothes we didn't know who they were and mm -hmm. it was CIA and uh, DIA and NSA and DARPA and uh, yeah, all this stuff. And we didn't know they were because they were just normal people. So at one time, one of them gave us a target and we started rattling off information. This was in 
carrier group. Yeah. Remember, I used, I used someone I, I knew. Yep. Well, at that time, unbeknownst to her, certainly unbeknownst to us, he was being viciously beaten and mugged in San Francisco. Well, the question is, she didn't know it. How do we know? What's the so? What's the connection? And that always kind of freaked her out. Like this is a lot more complicated than we ever imagined. And in some ways. It's the ability for, to read, again, to access remote information. One last story. This is good. Sure. I'm terms of it. <laughs> Another time, we have more doing it in real time. It was relatively easy. It worked very well. We thought, let's do our first precognitive session. And the, the, it was simple. Instead of working on a target supply that evening, we, we were going to random, we were going to try to project our mind or consciousness forward uh, seven days the next week. Describe the first randomly uh, target. We don't know who it would be or what the person. So we start describing a tall, blue-eyed, blonde woman, very attractive. And um, we describe her clothing. And there were 23 empty chairs that little people could sit in. And she, you know, we did start describing her. And we see her sit in our vision. We see her sitting on one of the chairs, which had a number on the bottom of it. And then we see a, a three-story home in the Hollywood Hills, a baby grand piano. And then we see a tall man, about six, four, six, five, dressed in all black, black boots, black pants, black gloves, black hat, black mask, black cape, black shirt, black gloves, and an imposing sword. We thought, we're losing our mind. What the hell's going on? So, okay. So a week later, two people came in for third parties who didn't know what we had done the week earlier. And each person was given a little envelope with a piece of paper in it, the opaque, and sat down. There were 23 available chairs, so people back when they wanted to. In my chair, and I had the controls for the lights and the tape. And, okay, so they, we rolled dice and told everyone on the packet, open it. Whose number fits the roll, the dice roll? And this girl goes, mine. Oh, that's my number. Okay. So we told her, listen to the tape we made, and if it fits, you stop it. If it doesn't, let it go. Okay? So she didn't know what to think. And the tape's running. She hears a perfectly accurate description of her. Even to the clothes she was running. We named the chair she sat in. In terms of the number she did sit in, the number was under it. couldn't see it. Um, we just three-story home, Hollywood Hills. That's where she grew up. Leave the grand piano. They had one in her home. And then the tall man dressed in black with the sword, and she turns to me, and she said, how do you know who I am? And I went, what? Well, how do you know who I am? What are you talking about? She says, I'm Tony Williams. I go, and who's that? Hmm. My father was Guy Williams. He played Zorro for Disney. Wow. And even when I say it today, I get goosebumps. She goes, wait, when did you make the tape? A week ago. What? But I didn't know I was coming here until hours ago, and randomly chose me and I said, well, how could you see the future? That's the problem. In other words, if the future is random and chaos, the chance of getting an accurate precognitive information source is almost an astronomical. But anyway, that's some of the work we did. It went on for years, in thousands of sessions, and it's discussed on my website. But the area that is even more interesting was the ability to investigation and poltergeist and all things. Mm -hmm. On that level, I've investigated thousands of cases, and most of the time you go out, you interview the people, you take measurements of the 
randomly the chance of your being there when it actually that phenomena happened that you can document it it's really low right and, and give you an idea of how low it is before the paranormal reality genre began i was approached by a producer i didn't know and an office at west l.a close to where i lived so i went to his office and began he goes yeah we want to do a show investigating phenomena and i would like you to be involved i said well what are you going to do and i told him but 99.9999% of the time nothing happens oh yeah i know that we'll just fake it to make it look real and then when something does happen we'll, we'll make that look like a hoax nice i said well i do i because but, but, but why i'm not going to ruin my career for you i said here's an idea you buy me the car i want and the house i want and help me furnish it and i will work with you but i'm not going to throw my life away with this crap and forget it and it I didn't approach me again to one of my colleagues. I didn't work with him. He worked with my, one of my colleagues. The guy ripped him off. So I never paid him. And, well, forward story. Um, but when you get a few cases that really stand out over the thousands, but I'd say most of the time you go out, you, you visit, talk to people, you go home. That's the end of it. Right. Once in a blue moon, you're out there and something amazing happens. Um, Let's look at 1974. Okay. The NTT case. Okay. Wow. Yeah. But that's your most, that's one of the most famous cases. Yeah, a little bored with it because you know it's been discussed so much. But here's what's important. My one of my my colleague at the time was a man named Terry Gaynor. So he was in a Hunter's Bookstore in Westwood, which of course doesn't exist anymore. And uh, he's talking about our work with his friend and. There's two women in the next aisle, and they have a conversation. And one of the ladies goes, My house often. So Carrie got her phone name and phone number, marked it down, and called her, went out to visit her. She lived on Braddock Drive in Culver City, a little dumpy house condemned three times by the city. It was horrible. We go in there, it's really hot and humid um, because it was hot and humid. And the house had a terrible stench to it, like decomposing organic matter. It's terrible. And uh, they were walking around, feel like you went in a, a tandoori on a very humid or whatever. So the first thing she says to us very directly, she said, oh, but I, I've been repeatedly raped by a ghost. And one of the words psychotic. <laughs> both rolled her eyes said, yeah, I've been raped by a ghost. Listen, there's not much we can do for you. Um, you, you call this institute here and they'll uh, refer you to a psychiatrist. What are we supposed to do? No, I didn't believe it. Right. Dr. So about 10 days later, she called back and said, neighbors and friends have witnessed it. Okay, come back to the house. Same thing, hot, humid, horrible stench. And um, we're standing in the kitchen talking with Doris Python, which is the name of the woman who lived there. She had four children, three boys and a girl. We never met the girl. The girl was really, really young. And the boys were teenagers. So we're standing in the kitchen talking to her, and a lower cover door swings open, and a frying pan or skillet goes flying out across you know, the kitchen several feet away. And parts look for springs or wires or animals or a kid in there. There weren't any. And that is what began it. And at one, it was amazing because you know, we had to make a woman that sounded like she was really disturbed, troubled, and she was so. She wouldn't even answer many of the questions I threw at her when I was talking to her, actually. 
I fill out a form in every case I go on. And uh, she'll leave and give us her age. I knew she was older than me, but I probably didn't know by how much. And um, I just liked her intensely. Um, so we, we were in the bedroom where things happened. And we were seeing these weird lights. It looked like um, like take a lava lamp from the 60s or 70s, the globular stuff moving around that looked like a piece of gelatinous matter, always lime green, mind you, flying around her bedroom. What the heck is this? And she told us about things happening. And long story short, our attitude toward the case obviously improved. Mm -hmm. So eventually, we, we sealed off the case, the um, bedroom. That's where almost everything happened. We put paper, cardboards, um, black paper, blackboards over the ceiling and the walls and the window. So no, no external light could get it. We want to make sure what we're seeing was generated in the room, not outside. And the light still showed up in greenish, that same line brings it to the room. And in my book, Aliens Above Goes Below, chapter two is all on the entity case, the full article. I got 30 pages linked to the case. And so at one point, we're, and we started seeing lights swimming around, and um, they coalesce in the corner of our bedroom. There's about 20 of us with five professional photographers firing on cameras. Uh, Kodak tried film, but that's the best we could get then. We could push it. ISA, ISA, and, mm -hmm. and uh, so these lights, core, they come together. And Gilles, and uh, it's a large man, well over six feet, seven feet, big muscular shirt, you see the head, the neck, the upper torso, but no definitive character on the face. Just it was a man, and then that same one, green color. And then um, we're taking picture after picture. Well, I thought this is great. This is film, you know, no video, no.
I got a call from her and the fuse box had been ripped out of the wall and just missed her. Candle opera flew at her, candlestick flew at her. Then a couple nights we got back and came back and something had torn off all the poster boards. Now, we had post poster board where we got pictures of these lights. We didn't know their speed, where they were coming from, going through. There was no reference. Now we had the reference. Each board had a number and a magnetic orientation. And lights seemed to avoid that area or, you know, the hop didn't let them happen much more of um, Anyway, what happened, we brought um, we were there in bedroom again. We spent about, what, almost three months investigating her case. And we're back in the bedroom. And all the, this is like one in the morning, she called us, we're running down there. And all the poster boards have been torn off the wall, taking the paint and some of the plaster with them. They were put out with duct tape. So obviously she could have done it, but she was very small. She was smaller than me, I, I think. And um, but we're in the bedroom sometime later. And uh, there's certain music that is the certain music we played, it would supposedly cause the phenomenon to occur, which didn't seem to happen with us. So suddenly the poster board, the back poster board background, and we hear the duct tape being ripped off. The poster board flies across the room and hits doors in the head. Another time, we another one was ripped off, but again, hit her in the head. Hmm. Now, in, in summary, well, she moved her actually from there to Carson. Mm -hmm. We found her months later with the help of Frank Vitalito, who wrote the, the novel, The Entity, and the screenplay for The Entity. So we found her again, and Phenomena followed her there. What a follower, it's an extension of her. Both people living, each people, group of families living on each side of her, they began to have phenomena once she moved in, but they knew nothing about her past. But they began having similar poltergeist activity. We went there and it was it's in all in my article. Um, it's on my website, again, it's in my book. And I don't for one second think that we were dealing with a, a ghost or discarded intelligence, mm -hmm. whatever, that raped her and, you know, whatever. There's no way to prove it, there's no way to disprove it. Science, you have Arkham Tracer, all things being equal to go with the simplest explanation. Um, we know now what we didn't know then. We know now the phenomena began before they moved to Culver City, they moved to Santa Monica. We knew that she was a very turbulent and almost violent young woman, and her parents family disowned her. She's very really hard to handle. Um, I'd be willing to that we know now that the majority of poltergeist agents, which is what she could be classified as, mm -hmm. tended to be either seizure-prone or epileptic. Also, it must, many of them appear to be hypersensitive to electromagnetic fields, sure. geomagnetic fields. And, and so the theory is that people with these neurological conditions interact with the environment in such a way where they will manifest the phenomena. They are the source of it. It's coming from a living being. Now, it's interesting from a psychoanalytic perspective. She had three children, um, three boys, well, four children. Little girl we never met. She kept her out of the house when we were there. Good idea. Uh, and then three boys. And the eldest was about five, eight, or nine, a guy stocky, muscular. And each child was a different man which is irrelevant to the case, so to speak. Um, but 
children, mm-hmm. the male children here. Um, it, it was a classic poltergeist case. And she died in 1999, I believe, or 97, in a uh, cardiopulmonary arrest. Um, she actually, when we met her, I found out she was about 34. And so, you know, almost 10 years older than me, mm-hmm. nine years older than me. But she passed away, and uh, one of her I think, sons was interviewed by Javier uh, uh, Ortega, and it was called ghosttheory.com. And it was interesting reading the, uh, I didn't hear it, but reading the discretion was written. And he contradicted himself, one of her sons, most every time he spoke. He'd say one, well, then he'd say something else, then he contradicted himself, then he, you know, you kind of don't worry about it, it's not real. Um, so the phenomenon, you know, she moved the phenomenon with her, and then she moved into the Riverside or San Bernardino, the phenomenon moved with her again. It seemed to diminish in, in frequency and magnitude. It, it, it still occurred. Mm-hmm. Um, so I believe that that if we've been able to do a full medical work of her, to see what she was either seized from her blood, mm-hmm. almost guaranteed. And let's go to another case from my file, 1976. Okay. It's on, on my website, it's uh, a detailed article called um, the Holly Mar Haunting. Colon, as good as it gets. And that location is at 6221 Hollymont Drive in Hollywood. It's her house turns out sits on top of a shell river, which is hydrodynamic hydromagnetic force. And two earth after earthquake falls. It just meet almost directly under the house. So I was up there with Carrie in May of nineteen seventy six. And uh, we we'll interviewed the owner, Mr. Don Jolly, and got to talk to people that had been there and had things happened. And it's extraordinary. It's unbelievable. Things chasing people around the house, things flying out of the house, around the house, dropping. And when we got to move in, it became rather dramatic and obvious that something extraordinary was going on. <laughs> and, you know, got to live there for 10 days when the house was an escrow. And fire spontaneously broke out for no apparent reason. We had um, a camera crew come over from KTTV, and a, a journalist named Connie Fox was chased out of a house by flying objects. And a rosac and napkins flew at her. Um, book can fly over the house, slapping his page, his papers, then turned, dropped her feet. Um, she was screaming her head off. The uh, street light in front of the house, there were many, you know, in that area kept blinking on and off, even though they weren't turned on yet. Um, It's amazing. What we learned from the history of the house was that um, what happened was the house was built in 1924. It was this three-story home, very majestic. The the neighbor man named Dexter Gray claimed stuff was happening in his house as well. We were there, told us some of the stories, and he said, when he moved in, he was right away in a place. He was leaning against a, a shelving unit on the wall, and it turned out he had a cantilever that kind of spun and went inward. Wow. And he and his neighbor walked down these steps, stone steps, into like a tunnel that connected the homes from Prohibition era. And down there, they found a headstone with the name, was it, um, sorry, what was her name? Um, Regina, Regina, I think was her name. 
Not to interrupt, but it makes me wonder if there wasn't some kind of old cemetery there, you know, underneath there that no one was aware of because I've run into that in the smaller towns up here. But the only thing I know of is the body, the heads of stone down there. Yeah. Stone with the name Regina and a year. No, no last name. Um, it's never been assumed. Hmm. So, you know, who knows what happened at the very old home? We do know that there were two murders and suicide in the house going back many years. Okay. That might have contributed. But again, it's you know it's a very active location right. in terms of the dynamics and structures of the field of energy there. Um kind of thing. Um I have a question in the chat room. Um someone wants to know if if, if you still have your abilities. What abilities? To be a medical intuitive? Yes, to be psychic, yes. Oh yeah, I can it's as easy for me to do as reading a book. It's no big deal. Yeah, that's what they wanted to know. Yeah, um, it, um, well, in 2013, a colleague of mine who was living in or, or in Mexico at the time, he's a medical doctor, I've known him since UCLA days, 
they can be in town with a new girlfriend and her kid do want to make a diagnosis with them, okay? So they come in, she's the, like Tom, uh, Tom Cruise's last wife, uh, whatever her name was. Very similar look to two kids. A really good looking young boy and girl. So they're sitting there quiet. And I looked at the boy and I saw the strangest thing I'd ever seen in my life. The frontal lobes of his brain were missing. Whoa. And I said, my friend, the colleague, but this part of his brain is missing. He has short cephalopathy or encephalitis. And I said, well, but it looked like instead of being normal matter, no, it's just a vacuous chamber. So that freaked the mother out. I thought that I know this. Then I looked at her and I said, boy, you must have smoked a lot. Your lungs look like brown paper bags with black spots on them. I said, you have COPD, right? Yeah. She jumped up and ran out of my plate. She soon, my colleague, Dr. Ken was, you know, Dr. Stoller, right. had told me of these things, which he did not. I didn't even know their names. And, uh, okay, so it's, it, it's fun and games to a point uh, with my ability. Mm -hmm. 1973, up in the lab, met this beautiful girl who came and she looked like a young, short Shirley McLean, very attractive. We began dating and so when we was going on, she lived in Westwood, she was finishing up her degree to go get a job. And I was in graduate school, so we talked, got involved. Long story short, we're talking at a place, and it was Carol, and I said, got a tour, and I showed her where it was, how could you see the tour? I said, well, this is right here, but how could you see it?
way, it's a, a recipe for disaster. Um, I met a girl before I left LA in like early 2015 online. Beautiful. Looked like a young Joan Collins. Mm -hmm. My stereotype. So we're talking on the phone. I'm looking at pictures. And uh, I said, look, I, I have to ask you some questions about your song. Okay. You don't want to answer. You don't have to. Okay. So I said to her, you're beautiful beyond words, but you look sickly to me. Like on the phone, I said, I think you've been sick your whole life. Yep. She was born a blue baby. Had she been a boy, she would have died. Been sick her whole life. I would get constant with many different problems. And she's like 42 now, 43, whatever it was. And so she's been sick her entire life. And it just keeps getting worse as she gets older. But how did you know that on the phone? I said, I'm looking at you and like, sense illness, gray illness, you're all over the place. There she is. I said, I don't want to meet your wife because I'm really sensitive to people who are sick. My parents came to me once and I said, okay, let's see if you're psychic. Tell us what's wrong with your dad. You know, my mom's husband, my father. Mm -hmm. I said to my mother, is it visibly discernible? No. Okay. So I sat down next to the couch and my thing, oh, you know, I ain't one over here. My mother said, you guessed. And I only said one thing. So, you know, it's, I've been able to do this since I was a kid. Right. Um, it, it seems normal to me. In Man of Steel, when it came out in 2013, the first act where Clark Kent is a little boy in school, and his X-ray vision cuts in, he's looking through people. Right. I mean, that's almost exactly what happened to me. I didn't freak out and run and lock myself in a closet using vision now, in mm -hmm. doorknob. But as far as, the, what the hell? I look at how, why? I don't know how. Um, what was interesting, um, apparently, I can't, I can't wear a watch. They speed up and then they fail. Mechanical watches, electronic watches, batteries fail quickly, um, and then the movements get magnetized. And I've had some very high end watches, so I've given up the idea. I've had cheap watches and I've had really expensive watches. The last watch I bought was my favorite at Tag Heuer. Curia, F1 Curia, beautiful. Not the best watch I've ever owned. Yeah, I have a couple months, battery fail, battery fail again, and then all the all the metal in the item in the watch became magnetized. Mm -hmm. The problem is, you magnetize metal by running a magnetic field back and forth across it. It realigns the atoms of the molecules, it turns into a magnetic, to a conductor element. But how can your wrist do that? Magnetic fields are extremely weak to the point where we can't measure them with conventional instruments. You have to have a superconducting instrument. Interesting. Interesting. Do you have to do some kind of, excuse me a second, do you have to do some kind of preparation before you go out uh, on investigation at all? No, make sure that all our instruments have batteries that are properly charged, that they send, there's no problem with them. Um, Make sure I bring form to fill out. I, I fill it up myself. I don't have them do it. Mm -hmm. And um, no, no, in thousands of cases, and once in a while, you're in the right place at the right time, and it's just, it's amazing. Um, there was a case in the early '70s in Van Nuys, and it's a couple with a couple of kids, and they were finding money floating down from nowhere, five dollars, ten dollars, hundred dollar bills, thousands of dollars. I said, are you declaring this to the uh, IRS? They go, no. I go, what's the problem? <laughs> you have free income. 
psychokinetic manifestation, Holtzcraft type of stuff. Really interesting. Um, and I said, well, can I live here? Well, I guess we can get, get help. You could use the front there. Uh, whatever, <laughs> I live here. <laughs> but that's a, that's a rarity. Um, and then in the case right here at Paramount Studios in Hollywood, a building there, and uh, a lot of celebrities used to live there a long time ago. So the couple would, you know, eat their dinner and put their dishes in the sink, coming back to clean everything. And they'd come back and air roll the dishes were cleaned and put away. Nice. I said, so are you complaining you got a free maid? Are you paying for the service? No. Then, hey, live with it. What's wrong with that? But yeah. the whole thing, to show you how strange this is, um, Ultraviations, I told you they have very unusual nervous system. Mm -hmm. And if you put one of the instruments I have near them, it is able to measure their biomagnetic field, which turns out to be millions of times stronger than the average person. You take it and measure a normal person who don't have these problems, it will pick up their magnetic fields to the dots that they're up. You go to the ultraviations, wow. And so the question is, I would tell you, I almost died in 2015, and I moved out of L.A., and I'm now living in the desert. Mm -hmm. Well, it was the desert, and for a while, I was living with an old friend, because I, I lost my home and my car when I was really sick. Mm -hmm. And um, so I moved in with him on uh, April 17th, 2000, April 15th of 2017. He already lived in the desert for about 13 years, and everything was real quiet, normal. I moved in within five days, phenomena stops. Disembodied voices, problems with machines, uh, banging noises, things moving from room to room, poltergeist activity. I thought, why is it happening here? Then we moved from that house to a house in, in Palm Desert with better, bigger home, very nice, but quiet. We don't know what's going to happen here. Months go by, it's great, nice and quiet. I'm able to start writing again. So. <laughs> About four or five months into it, phenomena starts. Limits anomalies, disembodied voices, things turning on and off, mm -hmm. rooms lighting up from no source of light. Um, it was amazing, truly amazing. This will be in my next book. Cool. But I thought, why is this happening around this friend of mine? And then one day he had left some medication. He brought back from the pharmacy in the kitchen on the island, on the, on the island in the kitchen. So told me to bring it to right? I was looking at it. I forgot the name of the medication, but I don't remember what it's for. It's for, it's an, it's a anti-convulsant. And I give it to him. I said, why are you taking it? Well, I have these, you know, spasms in my muscles that I can't let go. Those are focal seizures. He goes, I didn't know what, yeah. How long have you had this problem? Most, about 20. It's 15, it's 15 now. I go, that's why things are happening. I said, you're at the power supply and I'm the focal plane or the lens or whatever you want to call it. And now that he's living somewhere else and I'm living somewhere, we're not living in the same house together, nothing's happening around him. Interesting. That's it's, really it's interesting. A, it's amazing that you could, as you said, the consistency of this info, knowing what we're going to find, it's been extraordinary. I mean, it's just extraordinary. Um, one of my a colleague of mine up in in Washington State. He's a PhD and an MP. He's a very bright man. And he said, I never looked heard about this link between, you know, um, epileptics and people who are seizure prone. Did you or 
years um, well the majority of poltergeist I, I'd say all the poltergeist right either she's she's reporting on epileptic most people who are um, epileptic are not poltergeist agents huh. that means somewhere in the middle is a missing or unknown variable right it could be the inability for them to cope with stress it could be their hypersensitivity to electromagnetic fields mm-hmm. and um It's like a perfect storm. I mean, if you give somebody that's that that doesn't cope with stress well or whatever, and then you've got say there's magnetic stuff going on under the house, I mean, it's a perfect storm. Yeah, it's um, it, 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 I was in, I was on coast to coast about a month ago with George Down, and um, we're talking about many different things as we're doing now. He mentioned to me that uh, I told him that a show that was involved called Hunt of the called the Skinwalker, whatever. Right, right, right. So I think the most interesting aspect of that series was that the phenomenon seemed to react to certain people getting off with others. They go, that's exactly what we find in my research. Certain people are the biological operational amplifiers that make this stuff work. Most people are not. He's going to be interviewing me again, but on camera, and uh, maybe I get a chance to go to Skinwalker. It'd be fascinating. That would be cool. That would be very cool. But the thing is, See, here's the whole thing with this. If we can see the future, if precognition is real, and I know it's real, it, it implies that we're just guessing randomly and occasionally fit the event, which I don't believe in. Right, right. But if information that makes it the future is there, that means that the, the future already exists, we just haven't gotten there yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that if information appears to come from the past, call that retrocognition, the future precognition within your own sight, clairvoyance or whatever, telepathy. And it's all the same thing. You're just accessing information that's remote from where you are in space and time. Do you think that most ghost ca- most ghost cases are poltergeist cases as opposed to just a, a regular haunting? Well, in my case, you know, thousands of cases, I'd say 99 percent or more mm-hmm. have been poltergeist cases um it, it it's a couple cases that have stood the test of time that it suggests there's something more to it than the human mind reacting with the environment and so i'm not willing to discard that as a possibility of just saying that you know the sign the data indicates we know part of it now so well you put it this way but let's say your favorite food is steak and lobster okay. but you want to eat it every night or if you lunch, they go. And the whole we're just somewhat bored because we keep finding the same thing over and over and over and over. Man or woman, tall short, thin or fat, young or old. Um, education doesn't seem to make any difference. Um, but the continuity of it, the, it's the same thing all the time, except different faces at different places. But it's the same thing over and over again. And you know, we, we've had cases that began as an alleged UFO abduction okay. and evolved into poltergeist activity or spontaneous healing. Okay. Wow. Okay. Um, or cases that began as poltergeist outbreaks and ended up as UFO abduction that screwed people up completely. Um, in my book, I talk about a situation that happened in 1977 
I was dating a girl who looked very much like the young Liz Taylor. I mean, so much so it's scary. So anyway, we're dating and um, got along really well. And the pictures are gifted in that way. So we mm-hmm. worked together, we revolved. And then I kept having these dreams. The dreams were simple, straightforward. I knew that on July 22nd, something would happen that would end the relationship. But I didn't know what it was. So I thought, I'm not going to break it up. She freak out. You know, she might think that I really want to get out of the relationship. Look, and that's a way to do it. No, I didn't want to get out of it. So we're, we're really together. And then I wrote down some information and I sealed it and dated it. Anyway, months go by and I kind of let go. Uh, we were in a condo that her mother owned in Hollywood, up near the Hollywood Bowl. And July 22nd. And I wake up in the morning and she had other covers and she said, why didn't you help me last night? And I go, with what? When the room lit up, I go, well, which one? Well, the room. The room we're in now, the bedroom. Go, what? The under the covers is shaking and sobbing. And she said, well, she found herself being lifted up in the bed. She saw me out with the light and she was moving horizontally hmm. and through the wall or something. And then she was in a room. It was a metal room, not a metal table. It was cold. There were little men around her that she didn't say alien. She said they were grayish mm-hmm. or greenish. They had reptilian skin, claws, big black eyes that angled up to a classic gray, gray aliens. They were cutting and probing and doing things to her. And uh, and then she sells. Then she suddenly they put her back in bed. So I told Esther, she said, no, I think you were full of She goes, what? She had no interest in UFOs at all. The paranormal, yes, UFOs now. And so I finally get her to come up one of the conversations. Okay. She's bleeding from her nose. She's bleeding from one of her eyes. She's bleeding from her ear. Bleeding from her rectum. And she's bleeding from the uterus, even though she wasn't menstruating. She had her hair had been cut in a really weird way. Looked like someone with a little melon baller took chunks of skin out of her back. And what was odd is that for about an hour that night, unbeknownst to us, the power went off in the air in the house. Hmm. Then one of the neighbors, I caught it was coming up, was going down in my car. And I uh, said, did you see that thing last time? I go, what thing? The thing hovering over this. I go, what, what the? There was this big reddish-orange thing. was gigantic, and it killed the power. And then it was gone, and the power came back on. I go, nope. Hmm. So, so I had to make a bet. What happened to her? She was abducted. And it, most psychologists and psychiatrists back was they wouldn't touch UFO abduction. It was considered quackery. But whatever happened, had it not occurred, she and I would have been married in less than a year. She became a really strange woman, became a religious zealot from one religion to another. Um, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the one chance I had to get married, the girl was abducted and that didn't happen. Wow. You know, I've, yeah. I've always wondered about this whole abduction, you know, thing with the aliens, because, you know, as I started reading into it, like the Mojave incident, for instance, it made me wonder about what we're actually, cha- you know, what we're actually um, investigating. You know, if it's not aliens instead of ghosts, because they can go through walls and they can do just about everything, you know, the reports of ghosts do. It's, what it comes down to is we're dealing with civilizations. They're so vastly superior to us that their technology is just like technology is like magic. 
Mm-hmm. And Arthur C. Clarke, one of those old authors, said that a very advanced civilization, their technology would, would be like magic. It would be physics. Mm-hmm. And there's a correlation between these two areas. And, you know, what it means, some people are abducted throughout their lifetime. Others, nothing, it, nothing happens to them. Mm-hmm. Um, um, in one of my cases from the early 80s in the North San Fernando Valley, I forgot the exact area, but a nice lady, she had a kid, she was divorced, a beautiful home, and so she described lots of poltergeist activity. But there were these strange gray things moving around, banging, the things that move and disappear, so strange light. So, okay, so I'm taking notes, and I said, when did this begin? What started? Well, I was taking a walk behind the house one night in the canyon, and this thing was hovering in the canyon, and I suddenly passed out and woke up back in my house. Wow. Okay. And then she disappeared, literally. Her car was still there. Her keys were there. Her money. Everything. Driver's license. Never seen again. Hmm. Wow. Um, the other cases that are in my files, and some of which are discussed in my book. And it means that if you're abducted, you're more likely to start having paranormal experiences than beforehand. Or if you're having a lot of paranormal experiences, there might be a higher probability of you running into this other phenomenon on occasion. No, you, you, science, you can't use one phenomenon to explain Right, 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 right. Well, do you think it's because, like, a lot of these people that are abducted say that the aliens will communicate via the mind with them? So maybe yeah, they've had their psychic abilities. You know how people grow up with psychic abilities, they kind of get dimmed down, but then but then all of a sudden something awakens them? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, the girl I was speaking of that I almost married, mm-hmm. married um, she could hear them, but they weren't, but they had no mouth. Yeah, see? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, in 19, no, the year, 19, yeah, I met a girl, and stunning, looked like Bo Derek. Very, very similar fate look. Now we were dating for a while, long story short. One point she says, Listen, I've got some friends that would like to meet you. I said, Okay. But she may not, they, they may not be that courteous with you. They, they're just curious about you. What kind of friend? Oh, you'll know that come over him. Okay. So weeks go by, and one night I'm something wakes me up, and I'm strapped down to a hard surface. And I can't see very well. My vision's clouded over my haze. And I see things in the room that should be there. I don't know what they were. And but making me sick because the, my head was down. They were rotating me, being nauseous. And so the next morning she said, well, did they hurt you? I go, who? My friends were over there. They were curious about you. They said, you, you, you were the wrong person to be with. What? Huh. Um, Jokingly, you know, when they took my girlfriend in 1977, people said, why didn't they take me? I said, I wouldn't take me. Because I would drive them crazy. You tell me how the ship is propelled and tell me what your power sources. Well, I'm not leaving. So the last thing was someone who wants to know versus who's terrified. Because the way they tend to control people is through fear. Right. So, you know, the question is why this happens. And then, um, oh, um, yeah, a great article on my website, another case, too lengthy to get in here, it was called The Aristocratic Poltergeist Agent. I knew this girl, we were really young, kind of 
weird to me. Even for me, she was too bizarre. And it was Susan. And then uh, in the mid 60s, 70s, it called out. She was living in a house with girls, sharing a home in somewhere in the San Fernando Valley. And all this stuff's going on. Strange water is coming from nowhere. And water paint started pouring out of her nose and everything. But it was fresh water, which is impossible because it's no fresh water in her body. It's saline. Um, but it's a poltergeist activity. And, uh, and then she moved, disappeared for a while, was gone. She called in October in 2008, talked. We're going to get together. She, I don't know where she was living, I think up north, now I forget where then she moved again. But she's a poltergeist agent. And guess what? She just happens to be epileptic. She wouldn't surprise. Wow. So it's, it's, it's the point now of I've had my steak and lobster too many times. Right. It's always the same. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, yeah, I mean, another case which is on my website, an yeah, article people might enjoy. It's it's called the Yellow Drive. The Seattle, uh, what's it called? Um, how can I say? Yeah, it's about Seattle Drive. You'll find there's two articles. One is really long. One is a little shorter. Mm-hmm. Um, the Ultimate Field Laboratory is a second title. Um, Seattle Drive Convergence: The Ultimate Field Laboratory. I worked in a case for more than a year, and I stopped going there because I kept getting sick when I was there. As did 68% of the people who came through there. The very high amplitude magnetic field there was certain people apart, including the owner. And uh, I have good emphasis. People told me they know him better than I, that he has had seizures. So, again, same thing. Interesting. Yeah, you know, it's, it does seem like that. I mean, even with like people that are autistic. Interesting. I'm going to have to remember that when I go out. And I never, uh, like that doctor, you know, I never thought of that. I mean, most, I know that colleague of mine up in Seattle, I think him, did you ever ask to you no? Know? Then how would you know? And I say, oh, by the way, I'm not going to the teacher problem. No one just throws that out. Right. Um, we were on a case uh, at 2000, what, nine, Chatsworth, and interesting home. And went in there, and there was so much 60 hertz noise in the house, we could have, we could have fried an egg with it. It was hurt to be in there. Why did he might have made that and put in really cheap wiring? I don't know what. And then the woman who, uh, a poltergeist agent, and uh, took measurements of her, and they were really high. And also, she was epileptic. What a surprise. Again. Hmm. So it's like, you look at each other, when is this going to end? Right. I mean, case after If I knew this 53 years ago, the database would be so astounding, no one could deny it. Right. But see, what does it mean when almost all the people with the phenomena around them are either seizure-prone or epileptic, but most people are seizure-prone or epileptic aren't poltergeist There's something in the middle that we don't know. Right. And we may never know. And yeah. that's the problem. Very, very interesting. Never a dull day. It's um, it, it's it, what's on interesting is um, living with my friend as I did for almost four years. Um, that you know, I never knew anything about his past. I didn't know about his medication. I don't know about his medication. Yeah. I don't know what is it? I'm not around him. 
And then I go, oh, and it kind of unnerved him. But, you know, things happen. We were together. Rooms would light up from those sorts of light. Things would went in with it in a dog. And the dog would see something moving and start barking at it because he knew there was no one touching it. Mm-hmm. Um, the dog would react to something that we couldn't see. Of course, all my instruments are in Los Angeles, so I could use them anyway. But um, it's astounding. And it, the minute we think we know what's happening, for everything we learn, there are a hundred more questions. Right. Right. And that's the problem. Because this this stuff doesn't. It, there's so many problems with it. It challenges our concepts and precepts of reality. And the, the bottom line is, with all this, is the past information still exists. The future's information already exists now. And information of things long far away from us are available, which means that we can access anything. And there's some evidence suggesting that our long-term memories are not stored in our brain. Mm-hmm. Short-terms are. That the long-term are stored in a power field that we access when we grab this information. Well, that's a real viewing process, which means that's the will be function. This is all very normal. There's nothing paranormal about it. Right, right. And, and um, we had one time this actor, a lot of People from the industry came to our groups because we had a director, and I didn't know at the time, but Dr. Moss began her career not as an academician. She began as an actress and a writer. She wrote a movie called The Colossus of New York. It's actually a pretty good film, very well thought out, very well made. Um, her maiden name was Thelma Schnee, or Schnee, the German means snow. Um, what happened back in the 70s? There was this actress who passed away named um, Susan Strasberg. Dropstick gorgeous, my stereotype. Never met her. I knew nothing about her other than she didn't work on TV, movies and stuff, and TV. And so I got a couple calls one day. Did she watch this talk show? I go, no, I don't watch talk show. Well, Susan Strasberg was on. And she said that you were dating her. I go, what? I've never even met her. No, I didn't. So I said, she must be out of her mind. So by nine years ago, I had got I had to find out what connection there was between Susan Strasberg and me. Why would she know who I am, but know that I exist, let alone my name? Didn't make any sense. So I hours I'm alive, and I discovered that Susan Strasberg's best friend was the actor Shelley Winters, which was Dr. Moss's best friend small world, which means there's a chance that Susan had come to the lab, but at a time when I wasn't there, I didn't know that. Why she thought we were dating, I can't tell you. Maybe she was on drugs or something, or hallucinating, <laughs> delusional. But it is odd. See, she met, Susan met her husband, and she divorced them, um, through Shelley Winters. And uh, so it's a weird thing. And then I was in a Xerox place in, uh, in fact, in Sunset, they had really low prices. I was Xeroxing some business plans to send out to people. Mm-hmm. And there was this tall guy on my left. He says, hey, you're very casual. Hi, I go, hello. And he told me his name, Larry. Okay, remember me? I go, no. You state my sister. I go, who? He told me the name. I said, I've never met her. He was a famous actor. Never met her. Yes, you did. 
sometime later, I met a deli in, uh, uh, it's in the San Fernando Valley, in the west, west uh, near um, Little Canyon and um, Ventura Boulevard, mm-hmm. a deli. So we're having lunch with friends. My friend says, look at that girl keeps staring at you. Turn around, that's the sister of the guy who asked me, if, you know, how I'm doing. And I go, you know, or so she is. Nope, we don't hire 
of celebrities and you would produce a hostile work environment. What do you mean? Well, people would either be frightened of you or they would be constantly asking questions. They never get their work done. Well, so that was the end of ever getting a real, a real job based on my education. Because my background scientifically is psychophysiology, environmental engineering. Right. on my staff who was a nurse and uh she told me that she overheard after she was hired she, she was an administrator for an er and she told me she overheard them talking in, in the break room about the same thing that had they known what she did for her hobby they probably wouldn't have hired her right because they think you're not yeah yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. absolutely it's the nature of the beast what can you do absolutely but they were And the deal they are. 
for this, we, we would have been paying Cedar Sinai money rather than paying me money. Mm-hmm. And they, they said, remember, we were there just at a conference with their, you know, the heads of the hospital. And they said, well, well these devices would be less and more expensive currently. It was like, well, are the, di- the diagnostic, the two diagnostic ones would be less expensive. But the other one would be more expensive. Why is it? Well, is your new Mercedes more or less expensive than your old one? There's the answer to your question. Nothing new is cheaper than what came before, but we developed a new form of diagnosis, and it rapidly tells you what's wrong with your internal orbit without imaging, without blood being drawn, and measuring the electrical biopotential of your body. And we can tell with your heart, your lungs, your stomach, large small intestines, your bladder, your gallbladder, your spleen, your liver, your kidneys. Reproduction, metabolism, boom. Within minutes, we'll tell you where the problem is, what the problem is, and the severity of it before a clinical symptomology appears. Hmm. But getting to the right people has been like squeezing the blood from a stone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, again, it's who you know, not what you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, my, my next question is along that line. For people that want to. You know, that, that think they have, you know, these abilities, even, even normal psychic abilities. What's your advice for them? Well, it depends on who they are, what they want to do with their lives. But if they get too in, in, engrossed in this, it might seriously, and if they get a lot of publicity, it might seriously impact their life in a negative way. Um, you got to, well, you're living in a, I mean, think about it. Normal, the human condition in the Western world, you, you go to school and grow up. You get more education, mm-hmm. you get a job, you get married, you have kids, you get old and you die. Mm-hmm. That's the way we live. But if you're taking a different route, meaning you're going to basically do something in a way that normal people don't, or other people don't, people are going to be afraid of you and they're worried that you might be seriously crazy. Not you, but you know, whatever. It, it's fun and games to a point, and then they back away from you because it's too big of a. When I was working at UCLA, the study, doing the research in the lab, most of the academicians were my parents' age, around my parents, a little younger, maybe a little older. Mm-hmm. Same. And to a person, whether male or female, thin or fat, tall or short, they all, all thought I was an alien. I said, but you've never met an alien. But I'd simply be like you. What? You're able to see things other people can't. I go, you know, other people can do it too. No, no, no. A couple of them were afraid to be near me. One was the head of the psych department at UCLA. The other was a well-known psychiatrist in the MPI. He was terrified of me. Um, you know, it's just, it, it's, you know, you know when, when the government first started studying UFOs during World War II and afterwards, um, a lot of people working for the government were terrified because they thought, well, it must be God or the devil fighting, and that's what we're seeing is all demonic. Mm-hmm. But this is the 1940s, 50s, what are they talking about? This isn't the 17th century. These people crazy. Yep. And the, the reason the remote viewing research was stopped, the federal government is the people in the Congress who gave, gave it a vote upward, yes, do it. They began thinking it's demonic and it's bad and it's the God versus the devil and oh my God. This is it's insanity. This is the 20th century, right. the 21st century. You people are reacting like Salem in, in, in the 1600s. That's true. That's crazy. And so, and for all there is, you still have this limited mindset, um, you know, not based on logic, it's based
based on dogma. And it's just unbelievable. Oh, it's the devil, it's demonic, yeah. It's demonic, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if they made money off it, it'd be left all the way to the banks. That's true, that's true. And so, it's funny what people should do. It depends who they are. And if they get into it too much, it will adversely affect their life. In terms of friends, relationships, making money, and also moving forward with any career they have in life. Right. It's, it's, it could blow up in their face and put them in a really bad situation. See, the other thing is, the reason I got into the field, as I spoke of early on, was because of my experiences. And that, in, in and of itself, was problematic because you're not just doing the research, you're part of the, you are part of the research. It's like you're investigating yourself. Right. And people don't want to hear that. It freaks them out. Well, if you know what it is, you're doing it. What's the big deal? Yeah, but how does it work? So, that's what I mean. I mean, everyone's different. People want to read about it and study it and find. They want to get involved research. You know, like the paranormal reality genre is garbage. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're, it's all fake. You know, right. go out and make stuff, make people believe it's real and it's not. Right. So, you know, that's different from what people, real serious scientists do. You know, and now and even and today with all the quackery out there, it's even more difficult than ever. Mm-hmm. Now, that was my next question since you brought that up. When you do a TV show, a TV appearance, are you very, you know, very like with a heavy hand going, look, I don't want to see anything fake here? Um, I've only been approached twice to do paranormal reality shows that were clearly, you know, hoaxes. Uh huh. And I wouldn't even work with them. And um, no one's asked me since then. I've been very vocal <laughs> about my attitude online and everything. And no one's been, no one's approached me to do these type of shows. They know I don't do it. I mean, a couple times they kind of wrote me into something. I said, if you try to do this, I'll sue your ass off. Yeah. I'm not working with you. And yeah. so, yeah, I just, it's whatever. It's, most of it's harmless and don't waste my time and energy on something that goes nowhere slowly. Gotcha. Well, you have, you're going to be working on a new book. What's next for you? Um, after the book, it's got a lot to do on the book. Because mm-hmm. right now I can't write the situation. I'm good. Situation here. But, um, you know, I'll write it, I'll finish it, and it's going to be, it's going to be far more controversial than my first book. In fact, um, one of the criticisms I got, actually more than one, um, this year ago, a woman said, she loved my book and said, why don't you keep talking about girlfriends you had? My response was, because incredible phenomena happen while we're together. That's why. Who cares about who I'm dating? I don't care who I'm dating. Why should the world care? Only bring these things up because phenomena occurred when I was with them. Other than that, big deal, you know. And then um, another person said that all the science, and then you suddenly crack a joke. Well, it's a way to lose attention and make people pay attention. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's you're not going to please everybody. And then one guy, some guy said, "Oh, I'm full of shit. I must have bought my degree in the mail." Or by whatever, because there's I use terms that are invalid. I don't even know how to describe them. And all I said was, "Give me your description of these terms." And of course, it wouldn't do it. Right. So it's just a debunker, and I'm, I'm not going to waste my time on that. I hear you. I but, understand. Um, you know, it's just it's uh, I don't know where I'll go after that. I, I may be doing work on other shows. It depends on how the industry moves. But you know, they don't 
my 73-year-old man. Right, right, right. You know what? I mean, I don't look so I met a woman a couple of weeks ago here, and she was like in her 20s. And, uh, you know, she met her two friends. And she said to me, how old are you? And I said, how old do you think? You're 48, 50. No, I'm going to be 73. She goes, what? What's the secret? I go, don't do anything. <laughs> don't demean me. Don't have kids. Don't have a regular job. That's what it's all about—a stressless life. That's funny. Very. But I'll tell, I'll tell you, if I had a dollar for every crazy person I've met, I'd be really wealthy. I'd be really wealthy. <laughs> it's just unbelievable—the crazies and crap talk to people who want to take it one last thing. Um, sure. The lab was okay. I met this guy in 2003. Don't you understand? And he did. He started telling people that he worked in our lab. He was much younger than me. And I said, excuse me, sir, but how old are you? He told me. I said, when the lab was up and running, you were a little kid. Oh, you, you brought me in and you were training me as a medium for the government. We couldn't have worked with you because there's laws prohibiting at that age. We didn't work with anyone to be a medium. You're lying. Stop lying or I'm going to have to do a... a uh, you know, I just write an article on your fraud. Mm -hmm. Of course, he did. And this has happened maybe a hundred times in my life where people have come forward that are just making it up to get publicity. Wow. So, what do you do? Yeah. Yeah. You're going to get that because you're famous. That's why. Well, I'm a legend in my own mind. You are. <laughs> you are a legend. That's for sure. I want to thank you for coming on. That was my pleasure. It was an incredible experience. You're still my idol, even after. Sometimes, you know, when you meet your idol and you talk to them, you're like, oh, okay, whatever, you know. Yeah. But you are still my idol, even after talking to you, sir. Yeah. And you will continue to be my idol in this industry. I appreciate that. Thank you. And I really appreciate you coming on my show. And uh, okay. maybe I get you back on sometime and talk about, you know, when you get your new book done or something. You know, I can't even mention the title because it would be stolen in a heartbeat. Right, right. No one's written a book with a title. Therefore, you jumped on in ten days to be out somewhere. There you go. I agree. But I would yeah, love to have you. Careful. I would love to have you back when when the new book comes out. Okay. Talk to you soon. Then. Okay, okay, Barry. Thank you. Have a good evening. Okay. Thank you. All right. Bye bye. Okay. What can I say? Barry's Barry, right? Anyway, I'm sorry. I apologize um, for the technical stuff. I think I, I, I look, again. Every time this happens. It's always some big event that happens in Sacramento. So I honestly believe that because they, they made some arrests in that shooting that happened over the weekend, I think that's what it was. People were coming home to watch the news. And this is what happens because everybody, practically everybody in my neighborhood has Xfinity Internet. So the drop-offs were from my end tonight. And it was funny because I, I even have an internet enhancer and I would switch like like the two times the first time I dropped off I switched back to my regular internet and the second time like right now I'm on the enhancer and I was still getting little notes off to the side that the internet was shaky so it, it was weird it was really strange things going on but uh, I'm glad we got through that I kept him on extra to make it up to you guys you know so I hope you enjoyed the show as much as I did he's a, he's truly a legend the the, the guy's going to go down the history of a paranormal investigation if he hasn't already you know, but uh, I thank you all for putting up with tonight, you know, the, the two drop offs. And um, like I said, I apologize, but uh, it turned out to be a good show. He's a great guy. Real nice. And uh, I hope to see you guys tomorrow. Tomorrow, our old friend Sandy Nichols is going to come and 
you know, come by and talk to us about his haunted property and his alien encounters and stuff like that. So he's going to be with us tomorrow. And the last time he was on, that went two hours because he and I got along just great. We just kept flowing, flowing and flowing and flowing with the flow. So just be prepared. But I want to thank you guys for coming. I have Barry's contact information as, as well as his book and all that that I can show you before the end of the show. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. After tonight, there's probably some people that hated the show. Hey, you know, equal opportunity here. If you could, if you would feel it in your heart, not every show goes like this where I have drop-offs, but if you feel it in your heart, you subscribe. That would be great. Uh, it's that little ghost down in the lower right-hand corner with the Sherlock Holmes hat on and the uh, magnifying glass. We have a lot of good shows. Not all of them have drop-offs like that, but it happens, you know. Um, also, uh, you see that thing flashing at the bottom of the screen. That's because, uh, you know, we don't make money to do this show. We don't make money to go out and investigate the paranormal. I pay for it all. It all comes out of my pocket. So if something breaks, uh, you know, I, I have to pay for it. Computer dies, out of my pocket. Mic goes down, out of my pocket. Headphones, boom, gone. So, if you know, if you could help me out a little bit, because, you know, in addition to that, I've got Xfinity bills. Maybe you could help me out to get better Xfinity for the month. That would help, too, you know, <laughs> get some donations in and, 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 and upgrade my Xfinity or go to AT&T or somebody, you know. But uh, any, any amount would help, okay? I can honestly say that because I want to keep the show on the air. It's a really good show. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, uh, I think we produce a pretty good show. Anyway, that you can do that at paypal.me at California Haunts. Or if you're not comfortable with PayPal, we're on Venmo too. So you can go to Venmo, just type in California Haunts, and you can do it that way. But I really appreciate it. You know, the bills are due this month, and I'm running a little short, and uh, it would be nice to get a little help here. Anyway, tomorrow, Sandy Nichols, Okay. So I will see you at 6.30. And so let's go ahead and run Barry's information. That is website, Barry Taff, B-A-R-R-Y-T-A-F-F.net, where he says all those cool articles are. And the book is Aliens Above, Ghosts Below. And, of course, Amazon. And I'm sure it's available elsewhere as well. And I almost forgot. I'm going to be teaching a psychic development class on April 23rd. That's Saturday at 2 p.m. And it's for people that think they might have psychic abilities or maybe already have psychic abilities but want to kind of learn how to control them. Because when you first start out with your psychic abilities, that's something you have to learn is, is how to control them. You know, because when, you know, if you open that psychic door, all kinds of stuff's going to go, come through. It's not always going to be good, the goody-goody stuff that comes through. That's what I help you learn with this class. So if you're interested in something like that, visit the California Haunts Meetup. That's where you can sign up. It doesn't cost anything to sign up for a meetup account. You just sign up. And what I'll do is later on tonight, I will add that information to our website, the, the radio website at CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com for you guys if you're interested. But it's a, it's, a, it's an online class taught via Zoom, and it, it does teach you how to visit your spirit library. It teaches you how to open and close the door you know, to, to your abilities so that you don't get overwhelmed. It teaches you how to travel out of body to uh, your uh, spirit library, you meet your spirit animal, you know, uh, you, you see your spirit object, and you get to meet your uh, your spirit guide. So what have you got to lose, right? Okay? Anyway, and even if you think that you might be psychic or maybe you don't think you're psychic, it's a good chance to see if maybe you are because you never know. 
Okay, like I said, some people are born with this stuff. It kind of gets pushed aside as we're growing up. But then something will trigger it later on in life. Okay, so here's your chance to see if maybe you can trigger it back up. All right. Anyway, I'll let you guys go. I've got to get the podcast version of this out and do some other things tonight. But I will see you tomorrow at 630. Have a good evening, you guys.